Good morning, everyone who's watching us on, what do you call this? Video. This isn't live stream. And um, so we have two congregations, we really do, or two schools, what do you call classrooms? One here and one for those who are not able to come. Hopefully, everyone who is listening on screen, you're not able to come. Because if you're able, we really, really want you to be here. There's just something very different when you are with your own family than when you just look at a video of your family. Can everybody say amen? Everybody knows that. There's something very different being with your family and then just watching your family activity or whatever on a video. So it's good to see all of you this morning. We're continuing in First John. And as I've said before, and I, I continue to say it, and I don't mind saying it. The study of God's word is absolutely the most thrilling and exciting and meaningful activity of study that we can do. Correct? It's just incredible. But we must always remember this. That we are studying the word for a purpose. So that the doctrine that we are learning becomes the activity. So what the truth is does not remain an intellectual cognitive thing inside of us. But that it is a living display of a risen man. Amen. So we are to be, and we are, the corporate expression of the Lord Jesus. And remember, in 1 John, he is writing this letter to the churches. Because into the church has infiltrated a group of people who are teaching in a way, teaching doctrine, in a way that is disturbing their faith. They are teaching that which is not from the Bible. And one of the aspects of this is that we know we're saved because we do these particular things and we have this particular knowledge. We know we're saved based on that. And if you don't have the same kinds of knowledge and experiences that we have, you really can't say you're saved. And so the whole burden of First John becomes not about our relationship with God because that's a work of the Holy Spirit having birthed us into the kingdom of God. We are God's people, amen? But it becomes a matter of our fellowship with God because we know that if we have any question about, am I saved? Does God still love me? Have I done something this time that causes God to put me out of the kingdom, etc.? You know, those kinds of things. It disrupts our fellowship. And so we have to have a solid knowledge of our relationship with God in order to have our fellowship with God 
to be growing and to be healthy so that we are literally manifesting the fellowship within the Trinity as we fellowship with one another. And so God is desiring that the fellowship that we have, for instance, among ourselves in this class, in this church, in the church, is to be a visible definition or description of the fellowship that the three persons of the Trinity enjoy. So that's what this fellowship is all about. So the burden of John, I think we could summarize, at least one of the burdens is, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm saved? And so we're going to continue this morning. And you remember last week, we looked at chapter 2, verses what? 1 and 2. And we said that those two verses form the doctrinal foundation or could be said to be the doctrinal cornerstone of our security in Christ. Do you remember that? Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 of 1 John can be called, I call it the cornerstone of our security in Christ. They form the foundation of our security. They are the doctrinal statement of how we know and why are we saved. So what does John say in chapter 2, verse 1? My little darlings, remember my little children, my darlings, I'm writing these things to you that you what? That you don't sin. Do you remember that? Then John knows, Jody, that we do sin, doesn't he? So then he said, but if we sin, and if we sin, what happens? Does that mean you lose your salvation? Does that mean that you have to repent in order to get back into God's grace? No, it doesn't. If we sin, what? We have. Now, may I stop you there? Because verbs are a very important part of the sentence. He does not say we may have. He does not say we're going to have. He does not say we had. What is have? Past, present, or future? Present. But if we sin, what? We have. When? Right now. We have an advocate with the. Don't you know this verse? Come on. We have an advocate with the Father. Who? Jesus Christ, the righteous. What has he done? And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only but also for the sins of the whole world so what does propitiation mean it means that at the cross Jesus being our propitiatory sacrifice has completely satisfied all of the demands of God's justice as to a broken law and what is the demand of God's justice as to sinning or breaking the law? 
in the day that you eat of it, remember Genesis 2.17, you shall surely die. Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sins shall die. So Jesus is the propitiatory sacrifice. He is the propitiation. He in himself, by himself, has fully satisfied the full demand of God's justice so that in his death, God now can justly forgive us and declare us as being just in and with the righteousness of his own son. Amen? That's what's going on there. So let's begin this morning in verses one, uh, 3 through 11. Now, John in 3 through 11, this group of verses, is going to begin to give us the first of three tests that you know you're saved. I'm going to try to get through everything, but this gets into a, an issue that I don't want to rush it out. Without raising your hand, how many of you believe you're saved? Without raising your hand. Is there anyone here you believe you're not saved? There may be. So if, if I were to ask, are you a Christian? Joe, what would you answer? Hmm? Yes. Okay. Michael, what would you answer? Are you a Christian? Yes. Okay. Darlene, are you a Christian? Hmm? Yes. Okay, fine. So we say we're Christians. Now, we're not here to call that into question, but we are here to do this. We're here not to make assumptions when we should not make assumptions. Amen. So how do we know we're Christians? We must make sure that we are in line with what God says about our being saved. Can you say amen? We don't want to be in line with what your mama says and what your anti says and what you think and what your experience is. We want to make sure that our faith in Christ, the genuineness of our faith, is built solidly on what the Word of God says. So here's the question for the day. And by the way, way, we apologize for no notes this morning. Things got dismangled, but that's okay. Write notes. Take notes. Write things down. So here's the question. If I were to ask you on this piece of paper that you have with all these lines on it, give me the biblical reasons, reasons that are listed in the Bible. Notice I didn't say what your experience is. Give me the biblical reasons why you can say you're saved. Give me the biblical reasons why you can say you're saved. Why do you think you're saved? And when I say why do you think, it doesn't imply you're not. It's just a way of communicating. So, if that were the test today, you have a sheet of paper in front of you with nothing on it except lines. For those of us who believe we're saved, okay, fine. I go with that. How do you know? How do you know? Is there a chance you may be being deceived? Is there a chance of that? Is there? Oh, yes. 
<laughs> you better read your Bible, honey child. There's a chance. There's a chance. This is the most important knowledge that we need to have. Do I belong to God or not? And if I say or think I do, then how do I know? Okay? John is going to give us three tests for this. The first of which we will begin to talk about today, and we will have to talk about this test for the next several Sundays. But this is not the only test. So those three tests are this. And yes, you may write these down since we don't have notes. We must meet each one of these tests. It isn't that, well, I got two out of three. If you don't get all three, you flunk. You ever have a teacher like that? You miss one thing on the test, you blow the whole test. Don't you love that kind of a teacher? If you don't get all three of these, are you a believer? Yes or no? If you don't get all three of these, you ain't a believer, according to what the Holy Spirit tells us in 1 John. You see, a lot of folks in the church don't like this idea of regulations and stipulations and whatever. But you know what the problem is? God gives them. <laughs> so, how do you know you're saved? Lord, you came in at a real good moment, brother. How do you know you're saved? Lloyd Hawkins would say he's saved. Biblically, Lloyd, how do you know? You see, how do you know? There's the moral test, M-O-R-A-L-T-E-S-T. And I know it helps you to have the teachers spell it out for you. My hands are chilly, aren't they? The moral test. The doctrinal test. And the relational test. And we'll... Talk about where these are enumerated and whatever. So the rest of the letter of John, beginning with verse 3 today, will be an exposition of these three tests. And he will state clearly at various places the particular content of each of these tests. But then he also will interweave throughout these five chapters the content, the emphasis of each of these tests. So it's as if John is conducting an orchestra and there's a main theme, two or three, let's say, main themes. And so it begins with this main theme and then this one diminishes a little bit and then the other main theme comes in and, and then the first main theme comes back again. But then the third main, you, you've been to orchestras, you know how it is. That's how John writes. So the Holy Spirit, having gifted John this way, is now going to use this gifting that the Holy Spirit has given to John to communicate something of the gospel here, communicate truth. Okay. So I really don't like to say, well, John was this way, therefore God used him. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> God made John this way. 
He made Paul that way. He made Luke that way, etc., etc. And then, having made him that way, having prepared him that way, he used them that way, correct? Okay. So let's talk about the moral test. In John 3 to 11, the moral test. First of all, let's break it down into a couple, three sections of this, subsections. The first subsection we'll talk about today, we will not get past it, are verses 3 to 6. 3 to 6, the first subsection. We may not even get past 3 and 4, but that's okay. 3 to 6. John is going to explain how we can know we belong to God. John is going to explain how we can know we belong to God. That's another way of saying what? How do I know I'm saved? That's another question that deals with the security and the viability and the reality of my relationship with God. How do I know? How do you know, Gwendolyn, you're saved? Beth, how do you know you're saved? You know, how do you know? And by the way, thank you all for getting here this morning, even though some of you have lost an hour of sleep. So let me read verses 3 and 4. If you have a Bible, you may want to open your Bible. If you have an electronic device, then open your electronic device. Verses 3 and 4, John explains how we can know we belong to God. And by this we know that we have come to know him. Here's how you can know. Here's the first test of three. The first. Not the only one, Charles. Not the most important one. Gene and I were talking last night. I said the entire doctrinal uh, presentation or emphasis of the Apostle Paul is a three-legged presentation. My security rests on three legs. My moral leg, my doctrinal leg, and my relational leg. So you have a three-legged stool. Which one of those legs is not as important as the others? Which one? Which one can you do without? So you need all three equally simultaneously. Are you with me? Let's not be foolish with the word of God. We, we play these games sometimes. Yeah, but I know, but I'm strong in this. This one, well, you know, no, that's not what God does. How do we know? By this, we have come to know we know him. If we keep his commandments. For whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. I like John. And the truth is not in him. I just like him. You see, John is counseling you. And you've come to see John because you you got problems in your life. You have problems. There are things happening. So you go see Pastor John. And he's this doty old fellow. John's old. You know. And when you go to see John, he's he's kind. He's old. He's sweet. He's loving. He is. He's called the apostle of love. 
And so when you go to see John, you expect what? Gentleness. You expect patience, don't you? And he's going to give you that. But John is going to give you kindness and gentleness and forbearance in truth. There's the thing that is the problem sometimes with us, right? The truth. So John begins to ask you about your life and what you've been doing and this and that and the other thing. And I've had to do this a couple of three times in my day. And I'm going to use Lloyd as an example. He's not the one I'm talking about in case somebody, whatever, has a big Bible to hit him in the head, you know. And so, Lloyd, you know, you and Liz have met with me four or five times now. And, Lloyd, listening to what you've been saying as you describe your relationship with your wife and whatever, I have to tell you this. I see absolutely no evidence at all that you belong to Christ. Oh, my God. I've had to do that. If you come to my office, Angel, and I feel that, I hear that in you because I don't see any biblical evidence. I'm going to tell you that, not yelling and screaming right out of a heretic. And I've had a couple of people argue with me. I understand the argument. But they can argue all they want. If there is no appreciable evidence of obedience to God in your life or in my life, we cannot say we belong to God. Can someone yell amen? amen. Now, here's the problem with that, which we'll begin, I think, next week to talk about. You might want to put this down, just anticipation. It's a what you call a. Oh, I like you. Who said that? A teaser. These two ladies over there are teasing me with their teaser. It's a teaser. So write this down, anticipating this. First of all, let me, I would say this. Hopefully all of us would say, I, I am walking in obedience. You know, there, there are areas of whatever, if I sin, remember that we have an advocate with the father. Didn't say you obeying perfectly, but you understand Donnie, right? So I'm walking in obedience. My life is character. Okay. How do I know that what I call obedience is what God calls obedience? Ah. Well, I can tell you, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't chew. And I don't whatever. I give a tithe. I even go to school with the word. That might be. Yeah, something. But I have to kind of think about that for a little bit. I go to church. Is what I call obedience. What God calls obedience. You see, most of it. Do we think this way? Come on. How many of us are consciously thinking this? It's kind of not there a lot of times. And yet it needs to be there all the time. This is what the Holy Spirit is telling us. Next week, I think, at least we, we will begin on the following couple of weeks, we will talk about the answer to that question just then. John begins with this, I know, we know. 
if you had a Bible that you could underline something, it's interesting, just start underlining the word K-N-O-W in the first letter of John. It's all over the place. He uses it some 30-odd times. No, 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 no. It means K-N-O-W. For the number of times John uses it, the word no, it becomes apparent that he places the premium on our knowledge of God and of ourselves and of our security in Christ. Knowing the truth is the way we are certain about our security. Knowing the truth. Now, this knowing is a combination of intellectual knowledge and experiential, you know, knowledge. Okay? It's a combination. So, let's look at John's emphasis on no for a moment. See, John's frequent use of no underscores the necessity of our knowing Christ and his finished work. It's necessary. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says. 2 Peter 1.10. Brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Make diligent. Be diligent about your knowledge of God. Now, how do we know? Where does our knowledge of God come from? Where does it come from? Somebody said the word. Say it again loud. The Bible. Is there any other place that contains, sorry, is there any other book that, I'm going to say this, listen to me carefully before you jump out of your chair. The Bible does not contain the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. See, I don't like words that are sloppy, and I, I, I have to be careful. My Bible contains the word of God. No, it doesn't. Because if it contains the word, it means it can contain what? Something else. And there's nothing but the word. The Bible is the word of God. So how do I know? These things. Where is the source? Where? My Bible, the word of God. And since, not if, since this is the only source that God has given us to know him accurately. Oh, we see glimpses of, we look at the stars and we can see his handiwork and it tells us something about his divine power and majesty, right? But to know who he is, to know who we are in relation to him, to know what he has done on our behalf for the gospel, to know our future, etc. There is only one place for that. And where is it? The Bible. And too often we make our Bible reading and studying minimal. And there's so much weakness in the church because there is so much spiritual malnourishment. Because we're not eating and drinking the word of God as we need to. Amen. Let me encourage you this morning. Go after God through his word. Get to know him in a way that you've never known him before. Make your assurance, what? Make sure of your salvation. You see, I know I'm saved. 
Now, you know there's a church out there that says, if anybody says they know they're saved, let them be anathematized. You know what that means, anathema? You've heard the word anathema, have you? You heard the word before? Yes, it's, it's, it's a big word in a particular church, anathematized. It means damnation. They're going to hell. They're going to hell. So it says you can't know. Well, you know what? First John is riddled with what? You not only can know, you should, you better know. We are to know we're saved. We are to know that. And we are to know it upon the grounds of biblical evidence. And so knowing I am saved, this is not a, a presumption. Well, you're just presumptuous. Knowing I'm saved is believing God. Do we see that? If someone said, well, you're just presumptuous. And so, no, no, I'm just believing God. I'm believing what he said. In fact, not to believe I'm saved, not to know I'm saved is a presumption. You see that? That's where the presumption is. So I have this in my notes. When the winds and waves of internal and each internal and external opposition blow against our spiritual house, when we are in a hurricane in this world, financially, relationally, whateverly, we have to know we are built on the rock of ages. You know, when the pandemics come, we need to know something about Jesus. Amen. When we turn on the television and we see all this in Ukraine, Ukraine, and the thing is, could Putin begin to explode uh, what do you call biological weapons? Could he begin to use nuclear weapons? You do know that's a problem, don't you? Where is our security? In the administration, whether it's Republican or Democrat, is that our security? Oh, heavens. Our security is in the rock of ages. We need to know. We need to know. Holding Having told them that they know Jesus, he now explains how they can know. How can you know you know Jesus? If we keep his commandments. The question this morning is, are we keeping his commandments? Now, is that keeping his commandments perfectly? We already know. That's not what John is saying. Remember John 2, verse 1. My children, I write these th things to you, what? That you not sin. But if we sin... We have an advocate. Remember that. And so keeping his commandments is the moral test of whether or not we know Christ. And the reverse of that is, and we don't hear enough about this either. It's not so much that we know him, but that he knows us. I don't mean knowing us. Well, I know all my creatures. Knowing us as a father knows his son, as a husband knows his wife, as a mother knows her children. Amen. That's the way it is. Because he knows us, he has brought us into relationship with himself.
that we may know him in his knowing of us. Remember before the foundation of the world, he has known us. We have been foreknown, known beforehand. So we keep his commandments. We can know we belong to God when our faith is being formed and fashioned by our obedience to God. Write it down. I can see you just sitting here. Don't you do that. We know we belong to God as far as the moral test is concerned. This is not the definitive. This is one of three tests. This is one of the three legs of the table. One of three. Remove one and the whole thing collapses. We know we can pass, if you would, the moral test. When our faith is formed and fashioned by our obedience to God. Formed and fashioned by our obedience to God. Remember in John 15, 8. In fact, Keith is talking about John 15. Jesus, remember, in the upper room is talking to the disciples. And at the end of verse 14, you'll see this. They got up and left. And as they are walking out of the upper room, they're heading toward the garden of Gethsemane. But on their way, they pass the vineyard. And as they pass the vineyard, Jesus says, what? I am the vine, you are the branches. And he begins to give them an exposition of how they, this vineyard describes their relationship to God. I'm the vine, you're the branch. And then he starts talking about, remember, bearing fruit in me and without me, etc., but then in verse 15, I'm sorry, 15, verse 8, he says this. In this way is my father glorified. How is God glorified in us? That you bear much what? F fruit. And that your fruit, what? Remain. What is the fruit? The fruit is our obedience to God. You see, everything about my life in Christ is lived out on the basis of one issue, obedience. Everything about my life in Christ is based in and worked out and manifested through just one issue, obedience. We are morally obeying, we are doctrinally obeying, and we are relationally obeying, functioning, if you would. How did we all get into this mess in the first place? What happened? God created Adam and Eve, what? In his image. And he says, don't disobey. And so what happens? The enemy comes in to oppose that. And as a result, Adam disobeys. And the result of his disobedience is what? Catastrophic across the world forever until the Lord returns. And so we have, we, you know, for instance, we have these, these lists 
of sins. I'm not going to read them, but if you go to Galatians 5, 19 and 22, remember the works of the flesh. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, Paul says, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. None of these folks are going to inherit the earth. None of them. And so the question is this. Is my life indicative of these things? Am I living this way? And we'll find out that obedience is not a matter of just do's and don'ts. It's not a checklist of here are the 88 sins. And I can check them off. These I don't do. And these are the things I should do. And these are the things. That's not what we're talking about here as we get into next week. How do I know that my obedience is what God calls obedience? Do you know that your life is a life of obedience in Christ to God according to how God evaluates obedience? We need to what? know these things and so after saying that look how do you know you know you belong to him if we keep his commandments and then in verse 4 he says look before I go on to give another a little more elucidation or explanation about this let me just say one more thing whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments as a liar the truth is not in him remember we saw that in the verse in the very beginning chapter 1 whoever says I fellowship with God. Remember, I know God. I'm in fellowshipping with God. But I'm walking in darkness. What? He said, you're a liar. You're a liar. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar. And then in verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, here's, here's how you uh, deal with that issue. If you're not, you're not a believer, you say you don't have sin. But here's how you deal with that issue if you're going to become a believer. This is what must happen. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, what? To forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, how does an unbeliever confess his sin and is cleansed from all unrighteousness? Does he make the decision? You see, does John say, look, Lord, you're not saved. Remember, we come back to it. You thought I was forgotten about you. Lord is not saved. So I say to him, Lord, listen to me. You need to. That's the first mistake. Did you hear it? The first mistake is you. The first mistake is beginning with me. You need to be saved. Now, that's right. So you need to give your heart to Jesus. Oh, my God. He's critical of that? No. The Bible doesn't teach it. You need to give your heart to Jesus. What Lloyd needs is to receive a new heart from Jesus. 
Can you say amen? That's what John 1.12 says. You know, we're going to be talking about pray this prayer. Acknowledge your sin. Ask Jesus to come into your heart. And, and truly believe this with your heart. Now, it sounds like Romans chapter 10, doesn't it? Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. But the emphasis, you see, too much in today's evangelical or Christian churches, this is what you do and you believe it in your heart as much as you can. The problem is a hard, dead heart can't believe anything good about God. The heart there is not so much of your heart, Wendy. It's having received a new heart, Ezekiel 36. And so with the new heart of the Holy Spirit in me, now I can receive, confess. Are we with me today? Are you with me today? See, the burden of being saved is not up to Lloyd Hawkins. It's not his choice. It's God's decision and decree to come upon this man and deal with him on the inside by the Holy Spirit, giving him the heart that can confess that Jesus is Lord and he can believe it. You see that, Gwendolyn? I mean, uh, Carolyn, do you see that? That's the heart that God is talking about. Not my sinful heart that if I believe with all my sinful heart and then do this and then God's going to change my heart, brother. Are we with me today? We have to be careful how we present the gospel. We're not giving Jesus anything. We're receiving everything from him. Correct? Are you with me? Next week, we'll begin to talk about how I can know that my obedience is really defined by God as acceptable obedience. Amen? Thank you so much.